0: Whoa, whoa, scream, and my
1: And the My name is Joseph Gallivan and you're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Radio. My guest this week is Charles Frolik. He's the owner of Froelich Gallery in Old Town. And he's talking about what the crow knows—a show of prints and drawings by Rick Barto. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus just before Christmas, Charles.
0: Joseph, thank you so much for having me on your show. So
1: you're like Mr. Rick Barto in town. He—he's Mr. <laughs> Native American artist in this town, I think. He's in the, the
0: state. G- in the state, really.
1: But you've represented him, you know, for a long time, and since his passing. And you've got this great show of prints and drawings. Um, Tell us, what was Rick's relationship to prints and drawings?
0: He said he was foremost and first a mark maker. He was not a conceptual artist. He loved to make marks. And paper was readily available. He could keep drawers, stacks of it. He would collect it and just he would send cash, literally, not checks or money orders, to Japan to a paper maker. And then the paper maker would just send back reams or antique paper. Rick said, the more wormholes and stains, the better. Sometimes brand new papers. But he would also buy cotton papers, French, English, American papers. Mm -hmm. He just loved all sorts of paper. Mm -hmm. And he loved making marks on it. So prints and drawings are a natural uh, part of his work.
1: Mm -hmm. Was making a drawing a a kind of secondary thing to painting and sculpture, or was it a kind of relief from doing one or the other?
0: Maybe a relief. I wouldn't say it was secondary at at all, because he constantly moved from one studio to another. He had a little printmaking shed, he had a little carving shed, um, and a drawing shed, and eventually, if he could make it bigger than he would, so he could work with larger-scale material, but he always... uh, Mixed, went back and forth from drawing one week or one day, then to printmaking or making scratching plates for additions for dry points, and then carving and painting intermittent.
1: Mm-hmm. So you have, as you come in Froelich Gallery, and if you walk to the left side, to the, um, the big wall on the left, there are these really great m- mono prints. Um, The first one is the title piece it's called what the crow knows it's two birds on a gray background um, and then he's drawn what looks like pencil the the words what the crow knows and he's gone all caps for what and some of knows so what was what was rick doing when he when he wrote those words
0: well when you look closely at this work on paper you can see that there's a painting underneath. He used cuttlefish ink, sumi ink, sepia, um, handwritten drawing. He wrote a journal entry in there, he drew the frame out with the cuttlefish ink, Mm -hmm. and it was a former drawing from 1995. And Rick was if anything prolific, he was constantly working, and he loved to be in the studio um, letting the ideas flow. He said you had to be in the studio and ready for whenever the muse called you, and that he was. (laughs) So he would have stacks of paper drawn, uh, and he would bring portfolios full of sometimes 50 drawings, 50 works on paper at a time, and after many years, we had hundreds of works in the gallery. And even back at William Jameson's gallery in those days, we would have to return some artwork to Rick on occasion. So like this piece is a 1995 drawing, and it didn't sell, and we returned it to him at some point, and he drew over it. Hmm. He just, there were some that he kept forever, uh, just as was, but there were others that he would sand down, maybe abrade the surface to make it more accepting of a, another meat material. He would spray paint sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, rub pastel, or like this one, he ran through the monoprint press with Seiichi Hiroshima, and they laid down a layer of ink and created silhouettes so you can see the two birds, and those are partly patterned from the previous drawing from 1995.
1: So the, the top bird is a kind of... Partly filled in, so it's a blackbird that's sort of mostly white on its body. It doesn't have legs. Its head is, beak is pointing to the right. Below it, in a similar position, is another bird. The beak is pointing down, and one of the wings is is down, like it's actively flying, not perching. And then the body is mostly brown. Um, It looks, you know, it looks more like a hawk, kind of mottled brown design. And then the tail is a white space which has pencil upside down writing in it so that is the journal that was somehow behind yes that was already on the paper
0: this he made this at a time when uh when william jameson was uh very ill and he would rick would visit william and then go back and make art writing a journal entry on the page on the sheet of paper and not every single piece, but there are several in this show that have the journal drawing, journal writing, and then that he covered over to kind of obliterate. So he knew what it said, and he was commemorating that time with William. So a journal entry. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny that you think that looks like a hawk, because I've been perplexed on what that bird is. Is it a dove? Is it a pigeon? I mean, the title, and he wrote on it, what the crow knows. And the top one is very much a crow. But the bottom one, I, I kind of think, well, it's brown. It's got some white flecks on it. It's, I don't know if it's a crow.
1: <laughs> what, what did the crow mean to him? Because to me, it reminds me of Ted Hughes, the poem, the book of poems, Crow, which is sort of, a, you know, where he turns this crow into this archetypal, uh, like, origin of the universe story. But the crow in the poems is very aggressive Um you know, he just takes this image and just does what he wants to it. But it's just kind of a, a really kind of bad character. But and very human, too. So when in, in Rick's world, does the crow symbolize maybe one or two things?
0: Probably trickster is the most common uh, representation for Rick, for a crow or coyote. Trickster, prankster, jester, joker... Um, clown, fool but he said it's not just some character to make fun of but to learn from from what they do and to beware of. Uh, There are many cultures that have an animal that's the trickster character like Tanuki, kind of a raccoon character in Japan that has all sorts of traits um, including um, sexual traits and with the crow they're um, you know People say they're attracted to shiny objects, They'll, um, they can talk sometimes. They are actually passerine birds, which is a songbird, so they, they can learn um, elaborate vocal um, calling. Um, but for Rick, the trickster and prankster and definitely a, a character uh, found in literature found in native mythologies. The crow is the one who freed the sun from the ogre chief in Northwest uh, Northwest Coastal legends. Um, and Rick has told so many stories of crows just visiting him and or looking at him, and he would say he would go look at a dog or a crow when he had an artist block because they were always doing something funny. <laughs>
1: So were his crows like around where he lived in Newport? Like here in Portland, we have thousands of crows in the winter. Was he, was he surrounded by real crows or was he taking them from like mythology and books?
0: He saw them. I'm boy, Joseph, I'm trying to remember uh, what's more prevalent there, a raven or a crow in Newport. He lived down at the waters level uh, on Yaquina Bay and then up in Nye Beach, which is on a bluff. There were, he would, he he said he was an armchair naturalist. He loved sitting and watching the animals. Mm. And I know he was attuned wherever he went. Um, He did reference um, uh, photographs or other artists' renditions of, of animals bears, dogs, coyotes, crows. Um, but his own personal observation was primary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does, I hope that helps.
1: Um, next to the, the title piece, What the Crow Knows, Rick Bartow has a, a very different kind of print. It's the paper is still white, um, but the bird is really big and it's dominating the uh, the white background. Um, and the the bird's body is kind of made up of almost like dry brush marks like very incomplete covering and then the legs look, look like pencil but the head is developed and it has a kind of yellow corona around the head and beak this one is called changing raven 6 and there's another word siswap, do you know what that means
0: a raven or crow okay and it's i believe it's in <clears> the <throat> language or Wiat um, it's a word that rick used from early on, uh, and when Rick turned 50, he was um, reassigned tribal membership from the Yurok to WIAT uh, in Northern California, and for him it was a um, he. It was a rebirth in a sense, in that the community of the WIAT were very strong and embracing him, and it it was a change an additional sense of identity for Rick, not an identity crisis. But the language, you'll see that uh, appear in many of Rick's works. Uh, I think this one's a really funny crow, too, because the look on the bird's face is a little bit disgruntled. Like, I'm really not in a good mood. I haven't had my (laughs) coffee yet. (laughs) It kind of has a little growl on it. But the halo, like you said, the, um, the little... Aura uh, yellow gold around its head really makes me look at the face closely. They put detailed graphite marks around the face so it shimmers a little, and the rest of it is very scruffy, like crows get. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they molt and they look they look like sometimes like heck. You know, like mm-hmm. they they really have a rough life.
1: So the, the head is black paint or ink, but then the, is that graphite, the series of lines that kind of look like feathers around the face? That, that's pencil?
0: Exactly. After printing, after letting the ink dry, mm-hmm. then Rick would often go in with a pencil and draw on whether it was a painting or a print, mm-hmm. and he would threaten me or curators even when there were... Exhibits in the museum already up on the wall. If something had a, <laughs> an available surface, he would hold his pencil out and say, "I might not be finished with this yet."
1: <laughs> D- just to explain the difference between a monotype and other kind of prints. So, with a monotype, the artist is making a print, but he's doing it like this is a one-off. It's a print, but I'll never make the same thing twice.
0: Exactly. Yeah. There's a, a plate you can use plexiglass, metal plates that are smooth, glass plates, and the artist uses the ink, often lithography ink, but other types of media that can be painted on the plate and then run through and impressed onto the paper. Uh, And then when you pull that out, there's barely any residue, or there should be barely any residue left on the plate. You might get a ghost impression, like a little, a faint, Silhouette of what the first uh, iteration was, but nothing can ever be the same. Mm-hmm. There's not a mark that can be inked and repeated over and over. There's not an etched ink um, or engraved line that allows you to make addition, really, even two of the same.
1: But you, you, it's like you do a painting on plexiglass, run it through, print it, and then you take that same plexiglass and clean it and do a second color and then run it over the first one. Yes,
0: yes. And artists will work many different ways.
1: My name is Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Charles Frolik. Charles is talking about Rick Bartow's show What the Crow Knows? which is on now through January 27th at Froelich Gallery in Old Town. This inner section of your gallery has um, a series of other prints that they're just black on a kind of brownish faded paper well all different kinds of paper it's kind of amazing one of them that uh, you pointed out was from 1997 and it's a frog in a square and it's kind of crunched up its nose if frogs have noses is pointed in the bottom right corner and its legs are all kind of squeezed up into the top left and then he's written Barto in the top right on some lines and the date. Um, do you know what this is called? And like, what kind of era of his career was he in in 1997?
0: Well, this is a frog print. Um,
1: You're calling it title? frog
0: print? Yeah. All right. <laughs> you stumped me on the title. I feel, I think it's just frog, but I'll have to look to confirm. I should know it because it's one of the very first dry points that Rick made with Seichi Hiroshima. It was on a trip in 1997 when Rick had two solo shows in Tokyo and then a uh, solo exhibit in Niigata in, on the northern side of the main island of Honshu. And Rick, uh, Rick had shows at two galleries. One was owned by Seiichi Hiroshima, the other by Toshiaki Yanagisawa. And Seiichi, in addition to being an art dealer, was a print teacher at Musashino Art College and a master printer. He auditioned for lots of artists, including Yoyoi Kusama. And Rick wanted to draw on everything. We had a, a long drive from Tokyo up to um, Niigata, and. Anywhere Rick went, he wanted to draw. He wanted to go to the art supply store, have Mm. his journal with him and draw. And Seichi said, well, have you done dry points? Have you made dry points? Because I've got these plates, and if you wanted to scratch on them and make dry point prints, I'd addition them for Mm -hmm. you. And Rick loved this idea. He had Mm -hmm. made Scrimshaw when he was younger, in the 70s. And he had made a few dry points over the years, but not many. And Seichi and Rick that is when it started, when their the real, their artistic collaboration began. Uh, Rick scratched a stack of copper and zinc plates and left them there with Seiichi, and then Seiichi picked the papers, um, did trial proofs that Rick said, okay, the blue ink on this gumpy paper, oh, the ochre colored ink on this Kozo paper, oh no, let's do, use black ink on this uh, Mitsumata paper. And, uh, so there were variations at times. Sometimes they printed editions of 10 of one color ink and one type of paper, and then an- another ad- pa- edition of approximately 10 on a with a different paper and different ink. Or sometimes the whole edition was the same, like this one, the frog, mm-hmm. is an edition of 20, and it's on an antique paper that is has been used for something else. So you see... Uh, creases on it and like I had mentioned Rick loved old paper mm. the more stained and wormhole the better for him
1: Was it a big change for him to I would think it was such an expressive painter and drawer you know he's like a lot of wild gestures but this kind of work where you're scratching with a, with a stylus on metal must be much slower more kind of detailed work. was it a big change for him?
0: I don't think the change, the drawing was familiar for Rick because even his paintings, drawing was the core of it. And the pastel drawings, he always drew an element of great detail in his pastel drawing. And then there would be elements of great gesture and explosive movement. But the density of the copper and zinc plate is something to be something noteworthy because Rick would sit with a stack of 10 or 20 plates. And after drawing a few of those, his wrist, anybody's wrist, would get kind of sore unless they're Popeye, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so he, Rick eventually switched to plexiglass. Mm. And also Rick would be scratching the plates in Newport uh, after 1997. Rick would scratch the plates in Newport and then mail them. Rick would either, Rick or I would take a stack of these scratch copper and zinc plates to the post office and then pay a small fortune to mail them to Tokyo <laughs> and Seichi uh, suggested hey why don't we switch to plexiglass and it was softer it's easier to scratch into the addition remained about the same 20 on the copper plates or 20 mm-hmm. on the uh, plexiglass um, it did offer some variation in the line. Eventually, that you know, as you go through the impression, uh, through the addition, sometimes the line would break down more. It would be, become softer, more um, fuzzy. Mm-hmm. But Rick loved that. Mm-hmm. That was just part of the process. Each one of these is hand-pulled, mm-hmm. handmade paper.
1: So they're all grouped together. There has to be 20 of them here, and they're different images. You know, there's a... Um A man's face with half of his face occluded by an eagle. There's a tall bird with a a hooked beak. um, A hawk. A hawk.
0: Not a not a crow. There's a
1: there's another face with another body, sort of two bodies, sort of um, on top of it. There's flowers, skulls, uh, animal skulls on a, a woman's head. So these are uh, a guy who looks a bit like John Lennon. portrait Oh, that's, that's
0: Rick. Yeah, that's Rick.
1: <clears throat> so, w- when he was making these works, was he making them with a commercial eye? Was he thinking these will hang in a someone's <clears throat> living room, or was he just in this automatic, creative mode?
0: I think Rick got into his zone pretty quickly. Whenever he was, when he when he had material in his hand, acrylic or graphite or pastel. And there's I was with Rick once, and someone came up to us, it was here in the gallery, and they said, "Rick, I have one of your drawings in my living room." And Rick just kind of got a look a serious look on his face, and he said, "Oh, I'm so sorry." <laughs> <laughs> he knew that his artwork wasn't for everybody all the time. Okay, right. And Rick was able to embrace the joys, the delicate wonderful moments in life and he was able to plumb the depths of misery that he had to exercise Mm -hmm. from his soul to as he said artwork drew him straight or sober and so expressing dark um, and uh, painful emotions was equally part of Rick's work as much as joy and um, some of these are kind of epic stories or little fragments of stories like poems or literature. Mm-hmm. They're human and animal crossover transformation works. They're self-portraits, they're animal portraits, just looking at the character of the animals, being playful, observing what those animals' characteristics and traits were. And yes, that's why we chose a whole range to be on the wall together so people could see. Rick wasn't just depicting one subject or another, but Mm -hmm. he had a very diverse interest.
1: The final section um, is a small one just kind of around the corner from your desk in the gallery. Who's the printer here?
0: Okay, this is a wonderful um, posthumous uh, section of prints that Mika Aono published and Mika, is an artist, also Japanese, lived in Eugene for many years, and she worked at the University of Oregon in the print department. And when Rick's retrospective exhibit was being organized at the University of Oregon at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art, the director, Jill Hartz, at the time, she proposed a print project with Rick, and she got funding for it. Uh, so that it could be filmed and that Mm -hmm. they could print a series of of etchings and dry points. And Rick and Mika had met, they hit it off, Um, they liked each other a lot, so we all knew it would be a good collaboration.
1: So we we have um, a kind of human skeleton with a bird's head uh, kind of talking to another person, another bird down below with kind of human legs with flesh. Um, there's what looks like two or three wolves together with men in the background there's a guy with a hat on and um soft portrait oh okay that's rick wearing a, a wide brimmed hat with a bird on perching on his head yeah. um, and there are other ones it's it's again it's this merging of man and animal and each print has this beautiful um impression in a corner so that is is that mika ono's kind of sig-
0: printing the chops. signature yep. Yes, yeah, so the emboss marks in the bottom right corner are the chop marks for the printer, Mika Ohono, and the posthumous um, estate stamp for Rick Barton. Oh, okay. And this is, a, this is the debut of these prints. They've never been shown before. Mm-hmm. In 2015, that's the year when Rick worked with Mika, and they were able to complete A series of dry point prints and uh, cultural organizations around the state of Oregon got uh, a selection of those dry point prints and lenders to the exhibit and then all of the institutions that hosted the uh, touring retrospective. But these etchings were kind of put on the back burner. These plates, Rick had already approved them, but then they ran out of time and ran out of resources uh, and then they were just kind of put on ice for a while. And Jill, Hartz, Mika, and I always said, well, let's we'll revisit those. And unfortunately, then Rick passed away in 2016 and they couldn't be printed while he was alive, but they had his approval already. Mm. Um, so Mika printed them in 2021, edition them, very small edition, only eight per, per image. And these, are etchings. Rick didn't like using acid. He was that was kind of more technical and timing and the you know the acid content in the solution. He didn't really love wa- taking care of all of those details. But Mika is a master printer mm-hmm. and she knew how to do that. So this is a series of um, six etchings and each with a unique image. Some have aquatint and some are more line etching. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you could actually
1: keep printing legitimate prints, you know, after someone was dead, but obviously it's whatever the estate says. So does he have a life after Newport?
0: We made these in a small edition, and when a print, if a print, if a plate has an artist's name, like their signature already on it, that's the, those are the crazy stories you hear about, like with. Salvador Dali Mm -hmm. or um, uh, fake prints where the signature is already in the plate. You need to be aware of uh, people, buyers need to be aware of that, that if it's only signed like that, that's a problem. That, uh, That means the artist might not really have authentically approved it. This one, both Mika and I knew it, and Jill Hartz, director of the University of Oregon Museum at the time, she knew it, that Rick had approved these. So we made a very small addition, They have uh, the estate made a chop that is used for authenticating um, works that are unsigned that we know he made that we can authenticate, and these that were printed um, after his death. Mm -hmm. So it's a small edition, but thoroughly um, authorized. Will there be more? No, there won't be any more. We abide by very strict standards of, a, of limited print editioning. So the plates were struck after this. Like Any of the additions that Rick made in his life, the plates were either destroyed or struck.
1: Is that what struck means?
0: Yes. Struck is destroyed. You might pop, uh, punch a hole in it or do an X across the surface or a big line across diagonally. Mm-hmm. That way, if it's you have a signed printed edition, and then you see one that has a line across the side of it, you can know that, that was that is a not authentic or not authorized printing. Mm-hmm. It's,
1: a, it's a beautiful show. I, I urge everyone to get down to Old Town. You are actually closed December 24th to January the 8th, but it runs through January 27th. My name is Joseph Gallivan. You've been listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week was Charles Froelich. He's the owner of Froelich Gallery, and he was talking about the show What the Crow Knows, which is prints and drawings by Rick Bartow. And that show is on through January 27th. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus in person,
0: Charles. Thank you, Joseph. Happy holidays. Thank you. Andy, whoa, whoa, looks a scream, hang him on
1: my woe. Andy, whoa, whoa, silver screen, can't tell them
0: apart at all. Whoa, whoa, whoa.